0: Hi listeners, welcome to episode 13 of the Define Normal podcast. If you follow us on Instagram, you know that we took last week off. In the midst of the Atlanta spa attacks, it didn't feel right to post an episode. What happened in Atlanta continues to shine a light on the uptick of anti-Asian hate crimes across the U.S. For this episode, I invited Penny Lam to speak about her experience as an Asian American. I will continue to amplify the voices of the Asian community, So look forward to more stories and information on how we can continue to support this community. Before I get into my chat with Penny, I wanted to share a few thoughts. The first is about taking time to celebrate your wins. For someone who is 27, I would say I'm pretty accomplished, but I spent a lot of time downplaying it. Maybe it's my Midwest values, maybe I just don't want to brag, but I'm trying to get better at celebrating my wins and celebrating the wins of my friends. So here are a few things I want to highlight that are big wins in my world. First of all, I got promoted and I got a raise at work, so I'm really excited about that. I've been working really hard toward this, and I'm stoked that it finally came to fruition. Another one that I want to celebrate is that I, along with my parents and grandparents, are fully vaccinated. We truly love to see it. I know that COVID has been devastating for a number of people, and it's been a really, really hard year, but this is truly the light at the end of the tunnel. So I'm just really feeling fortunate and thankful to be vaccinated. Last but not least, a big win is that Stu from episode four has officially moved to the States and is all settled into an apartment with Natalie in New York City. I am very, very thrilled for the two of them. So I just wanted to celebrate those wins and life is short. I know we're still in the midst of a global pandemic, but you still have to make time to clap for yourself and celebrate your friends. So wanted to spend some time doing that. Before we get into my chat with Penny, I also want to tell you a little bit about how we know each other. So Penny used to be my manager at Condé Nast when I worked there once upon a time. She's a gem. She and I have kept in touch since I left the company, and we just always have the most amazing conversations. When Trump won the election in 2016, and half of our office was crying during Hillary's concession speech, mostly because we knew exactly what the world would look like with Trump as president. and. You know, unfortunately, it was almost worse than what we predicted. But all this to say, I mean, Penny and I have been having some of these conversations about how our identities shaped why we didn't want Trump being president. And we talked throughout his presidency about how it's hard to watch this as two people of color. So I feel really fortunate that Penny and I were able to have this conversation on the podcast. And you can learn a little bit about her. She's wonderful and has such an amazing story. So without further ado, here's my interview with Penny hi welcome to another episode of define normal on today's episode i have my friend penny and penny is joining us to talk about allyship with the api community welcome penny hi shelby how are you i'm doing well how are you good so good to have you and to see you same it's been way too long and i'm excited to to talk to you I'm so excited about our conversation. So my first question for you is I would love to hear about how you grew up, where you grew up, and just more about your background. Yeah, um, so I grew up in the New York, New Jersey area. I
1: was born in Manhattan, lived in Brooklyn, then moved into the suburbs of New Jersey, and then back to New York and Queens. a lot of jumping around, but I think for the most part, um, my formative years, I would say was in Jersey and in you know suburban areas where I would say it was mostly white neighborhoods and then a little bit of a, a mixture where um, there were definitely I wasn't the only Asian person there, and there were definitely some you know black folks and Hispanic and but definitely still by and large white. <laughs>
0: I totally believe that I had a similar upbringing of being not so much being in the tri-state area, but definitely being in spaces right. where like there were majority predominantly white people than there was me. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, so growing up in New York City and the surrounding areas, how did your identity translate in those communities? Did you find, you said there weren't a ton of Asian people around you. So like, did you find community and family? How did you meet people who ex- related to your experiences? Yeah, I think.
1: Well, I think when I was, like, much younger, when I got older and, you know, I moved to Queens when I was about 15, 16 years old. So then I really was, and I moved into a very Asian (laughs) neighborhood. So it was like I I almost couldn't get away from Asian people. But I would say before that, um, interestingly enough, I felt like I always gravitated towards, um, it's weird because I, I wouldn't say they look like me, but, like, some of my closest friends were black or Hispanic or Latino or Latina, I should say, because he's usually my girlfriend. <laughs> and um, I don't know. I think part of that, and I've been thinking about that a little bit. I think, at least for maybe some of my Hispanic friends, some of them, it's it's maybe like that immigrant story where like our parents are immigrants, and you almost kind of ca- kind of identify that that story. It's almost not the same, but the struggle is a little bit similar. You know, your parents might not speak English well and you know, they're, they're kind of navigating and you're navigating with your parents along the way. And I, I think when I was younger, I, I really didn't identify with a lot of the, the, the white kids as much. Um, and I don't know, I, I, it also probably had to do with growing up kind of poor. Um, And you just didn't feel like you belonged um, and maybe didn't feel like you were quite enough, if you will. I just gravitated toward people that I just felt like kind of understood my struggles. (laughs) Um, And it's weird because you're like, hey, I'm I'm like seven, eight years old. What what struggles do I have at this point in life? But um, I don't know. I, I think there's just some kind of mutual understanding of things. And it's like I think maybe that's around that age where you start being more aware. You're aware of your surroundings, and you you know that there are differences in people, right? I think right now, you know, I have a daughter that's two and a half. She she, she doesn't know, like you know, she doesn't know what what anything is. She's she's just you know scared of random things, but loves other things and no reason, no rhyme. But um, I think around that age is probably when, when you're you're a little bit more aware of your surroundings and and i think that's why i gravitated towards certain people that i felt safer or like akin to
0: totally you found community with people who had shared experiences and also like other people of color who who had parents who were maybe immigrants and english wasn't their first language and they just understood even though you didn't have the exact same struggles you had similar struggles
1: Yeah, exactly. It's like weird. It's like you're trying to just grasp onto anything that's like, oh, you're kind of like me. So you're like, I like you because you, you know, we can kind of be weird
0: together. Right. Which I think still happens. Like people need those communities to feel like seen, understood and heard. And it's incredible that it happens as early as seven, but it's, it's totally a reality. I still gravitate toward people who have similar experiences as me. You mentioned your parents being immigrants and in English being like a second language. Like, can you tell me what the experience was growing up in a home where your parents were immigrants?
1: A little bit about that. Like for my mom, I, you know, I think her English was okay, broken, probably. My dad was pretty non-existent. And, you know, just to be super transparent, my, my mom passed away when I was seven. All I really remember is just, you know, her being my mom and, you know, we ran a small business in Chinatown. So um, even though we were living in the suburbs of New Jersey, they would commute into Chinatown in Manhattan, lower Manhattan. Uh, They ran a little store and my dad didn't speak any. And honestly, up until he passed away um, three years ago, his English was almost non-existent. So growing up with mostly, you know, obviously after my mom passed away, it was really my dad and my brother. And having a parent that doesn't really speak English, that's hard. That's really hard. And and your translator, like every letter that comes in the mail, you're like, OK, I'm seven, eight years old trying to like read this to you and telling you that I think it's nothing important or, you know, it's called junk mail. But you know, I think there's a lot of pressure uh, for for kids that age, and it's funny because then I, I want to say just even a, a few months or a year or two ago, there's always these memes of hey, raise your hand if this happened or that happened. I'm like, oh, okay, so I wasn't the only translator for my parents, and there's just a lot of that shared experience. So I, I think you know it, it was hard, but you know you just learn a lot from having immigrants as parents, and I think every immigrant story is different. Definitely for me, it was um, it was a struggle one, right? There's some people that's like, hey, my, my parents came here as professors at a university. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. That's not my experience. You know, my experience is, you know, they, they saved up enough money. They, they opened a little store. We did fairly well that we could move into the suburbs. And very quickly um, after my mom passed away, you know, as an adult reflecting back, I realized my mom was, the badass businesswoman. She's the one who like made moves, made sure that you know bills are paid, things people were paying the bills, and, and that's why we were able to move into the suburbs. And when my dad took over the business and really tried to replicate the success, if you will, or at least moderate success, um, he couldn't do it. It was a struggle. So it was just years of trying to replicate that experience. And then we struggled and, you know, we bounced around a little bit because we couldn't pay rent. And it was tough. Honestly, we didn't really get out of it until my brother was old enough to, you know, graduate college and then start making money and then supporting us. Like literally at that time, I was then maybe junior high, high school. And he really just stepped up and and took care of our family. So, you know, I don't think all immigrant stories are the same. Um, I think there's a lot of conversations about like model minority and this and this idea of like, oh, all these Asians are rich. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. Poor Asian here. Like, literally poor Asian. Um, You might look at me now thinking, oh, no, she's fine. I I definitely live a very comfortable life now. Not rich by any means, but very comfortable. But that was not how I grew up. You know, I I remember looking at people who went to Kmart or Macy's, and I was like, oh, fancy. No, I'm serious. And it was, like, crazy that, like, someone would – and, you know, I'm not knocking it now. I'm like, hey, I'm not going to knock anybody because I I know, I know how it is because a lot of my clothes were hand-me-downs from like family friends. Like, and, and I, and when I got these big bags, like garbage bags of clothes, it was Christmas. Like I was so excited because it was just new clothes to me. And as a kid, you don't know that. And then (laughs) when you get older, you're like, yeah, I, I I had all these hand-me-down clothes from like Random people. and But back then it was like, oh my goodness, all new clothes. And I think a lot of that is, is tough because everything that's happened with Atlanta and even before that and in the past year with like coronavirus and being scapegoats and whatnot, I, I think there's a lot of reflection. All of us don't have the same experience. And I think there is this preconceived notion that we all are kind of one kind of way. I work at Conde Nast. They probably think I am one kind of way. But if you talk to me and know how I grew up, I am definitely not that kind of way. I did not grow up that way at all.
0: Right. Like not every Asian experience is crazy rich Asians or bling empire. There are people who have very middle class or people who have working class or poor upbringings where they did struggle. But there is a lot of people perpetuating this norm of Asians have money even I think about college when we think about exchange students who are driving around like Mercedes and BMWs and like oh they have money so now that's my sample size of Asian people so you think they have money which is a terrible generalization because it's such a broad community right like there are people whose parents who have immigrated there are people who they are second or third generation here I mean there's just so many situations and cultural backgrounds definitely and there's even like different
1: you know obviously asia is a huge continent different countries and rich cultures and all of them have nuances and uh, sadly even amongst asians like you're like oh like there's like a ranking right like so we have like the hierarchy of the different races and there's a ranking there There's the, you know, obviously the oppression Olympics, but then like even within Asian communities like, oh, well, you know, you're not like the poor, poor country. And it's like, you know, like why why do we even have to go there? But it's like sometimes even with amongst ourselves, we, we do that and that's just not right.
0: It really isn't. So how has your experience shaped your identity? So you talked about growing up in New York and losing your mom at a young age and seeing your dad struggle until your brother was able to Help you all out. So, how did that kind of confirm your identity? Were you proud to be Asian? Were you proud of your parents? Like, what? How did that inform who you are? A lot of reflection again. I think growing up, when you're in
1: it, at the time, I don't know if I realized I was poor. I thought we were like, okay, maybe we're like middle class, but you know, really lower middle class, if you will. At the time, probably a little bit ashamed that you know that you know my dad doesn't speak English, right? You're like a kind of embarrassed. Um, or that where you live isn't really that nice. Uh, so I think growing up, there was definitely that struggle a little bit, right? You're a little bit ashamed. Um, but as I've gotten older, I really have um, just so pro- like a profound respect for my parents for, for trying to achieve this dream, um, for just keeping keep at it, right? They just kept trying, even though it struggled and it it, it didn't come out great every single time. Um, they just kept trying to make ends meet. they trying to just get us there, right? Um, I think that's also why I think I gravitate towards when, when other communities are hurting, when like everything that happened last summer, like I think there's a, if anything, I think there's a deep empathy that I feel because I, I know how it is to just Feel down, and you know, just sometimes just like, okay, if we can just get through this, or you know, you just kind of so. I I think for me, I I think it's helped shape empathy for me. Um, and it's interesting because I think seeing how we struggled, and then and then I see other people struggling now, right? I think for me, it's like empathy, and all I want to do is like, can we just help folks, right? And I always say, like, I'm more than okay to pay more taxes. You know, I know this is getting a little political here, but, you know, I I think it's just more of the grand scheme of things. It's like I live comfortable enough that I'm okay to pay more taxes if someone else who can't afford it doesn't because I know how it feels to be on that other side. So for me, I, I feel that one way. And I'll say on the other spectrum, then I have my brother who, you know... We grew up together, right? But he's much older than me, and I think he's more hardened because he did pick up so much slack. And growing up and just really supporting our family, I think for him, it's more like, well, you just need to work harder. You know what I mean? He doesn't give anybody slack. He's like, oh, no, you just got to work harder. Like, that's just how it is. Like, life is tough, get tougher kind of a thing. Whereas for me, I'm just more like, well okay, but you know, some sometimes people have a leg up, right? And we need to recognize that. And I think our experience, even though it was the same, because he's so much older than me, and because of so much stress and weight that was on him to support us, I think it hardened him. So we see things pretty differently, actually. Whereas I'm coming from empathy. And he's just like, you just got to carry your weight kind of a thing. And I'm just like, "Mm, I don't,
0: yeah. Right. That's not how it always works. To your point, we aren't all operating from the same starting place. Some people have a leg up. So to imply that people don't need help and they should just pull themselves up by their bootstraps and work harder. I mean, you experienced how hard your dad was working. It wasn't that he wasn't trying for his family or working hard. It was English is not a language I speak. My wife is no longer here, so I'm grieving. I have two children. I wasn't the business savvy one, so how am I supposed to do this? And he could work so hard, and I'm sure he did, and, and not replicate. It would just never happen for him, right? Because you're right, each, each one of us is
1: built differently. We have different strengths, and that was definitely not his strength. And my brother definitely you know, had, had that grudge for a while. Like, well, why didn't, like, he try harder? And I'm just like, I just, you know, we, we are all built differently. I, I know this is kind of going outside of what we're going, but I think that also is just, um, it's almost a snapshot of how I see the world and how he sees the world. And even the other day, I was talking to my husband and I was just saying, like, and I don't even know in what context we were even talking about, but I was like, I know for a fact that if my resume looked exactly the the same as a black candidate, I would say confidently, nine out of 10 times, they would pick me because I think a lot of people have preconceived notions of who Asian Americans are, what they represent, and I'm probably a safe bet. Like if, if it was the same resume and they just met us and we answered everything the exact same way, I know I have a leg up, right? And that's where I don't know if my brother sees it that way. You know, people who are like, oh, I don't see color and all that. I'm like, okay, now you're just being an asshole, right? Like, just, you know what I mean? Like, don't pretend like all of us, everyone's on the same level field. And the only reason why they picked it was like drawing straws here. It's not right. Like there's definitely preconceived notions. There's prejudice. There's stereotypes that are going into it and why people make these decisions, Totally. It's that model minority stereotype. Absolutely. And I, I definitely have fallen, fallen into it myself, um, like trying to live up to it, if you will. And it's terrible, like, you know, and I hate it. But, you know, I think as I got older, it's almost like, well, if I just act a certain way and if I'm like, it's almost like if I'm white enough and I hate to say that, but, it's like, but that's what it is. It's like, if, I, if you're just white enough, then you'll just be accepted, right? You're just... You're always trying to reach that level, and as we've learned, just because in proximity does not mean you're ever going to be accepted in the same way. And is that really what you want, right? Like, it's, it's like you have to even step even further away from that question. Why do you want to be closely assimilated to white people and 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 align yourself that way? And not to say I have tons of white friends, like you know, I'm not saying I don't respect them or anything like that but like we should all be able to stand on our own skin and not feel like we need to be like someone or close to a certain um group of folks to be like for the allyship part right right our value is not tied to whiteness it's like what just because you're closer in proximity you feel like you're protected and as we know that's not the case you're not
0: no, 100%, you're not protected at all. Your proximity to whiteness often makes you lose your own culture. And like you said, you have to think about, is that what you want? And the answer is often no. Right. And, and I'll say, I, I, I do feel like
1: I've given that up. I was even remembering, even when you reach out, and this was just literally earlier today, just things that just like rattling in my brain where when I was young, I used to speak three different Chinese dialects, you know, and I get it. Like, no way can I be like quadrant quadrilingual or whatever you say but you know it, it goes to say that I, I, I speak Mandarin enough like I, I'm not I wouldn't say I'm a native speaker because if I go to Taiwan people will be like oh yeah you definitely don't live here like they can, they can tell that I don't live here <laughs> but you know I know I could have been better because having a parent that literally doesn't speak English my Mandarin should be flawless, like, I should be able to speak fluently. But I think it's that resistance, right? It's like that that resistance to to want to speak it as much or practice it as much. And I'm sad I lost some of it. I, I could have been speaking to you in Cantonese and some Taiwanese and threw all those things in there, and, and I can't now, right? And I think it's because along the way, you kind of assimilate, right? And 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 assimilation comes at a
0: cost, so... Totally. Assimilation 100% comes at a cost and it's a topic that's come up a ton on this podcast so far. Speaking of assimilation, when you were younger and in school and even going into college, do you feel like a lot of people ridiculed your identity or spoke about the stereotypes of the Asian community? I mean, in college, it's interesting because I went to BU, um,
1: which actually has a ton of international students, um, a lot from Asia. So I think it's, it's actually quite different. But I will say you will see clicks. Like, you know, it's like, oh you know, the Japanese international kids stuck with only the Japanese international kids, Korean kids, you know, everyone kind of just stuck to their own and the Asian American kids stuck with the Asian American kids. So it was interesting that everyone just felt comfortable to be in their own clique. I don't know if there was so much the um, the stereotype of it all, but I will say, you know, in life, there's definitely the assumption that you should be able to do this math problem pretty quickly. Like, oh, you're just calculating percentages very quickly. Like, oh yeah, I'm like, oh yeah, I didn't just punch that number in my calculator really fast and didn't do it in my head. You know, it's like that assumption that you can just like crunch numbers very quickly or um, or to, you know, what we were even saying earlier, a a lot of these international students are fairly wealthy. I mean, you have to be wealthy enough to be, you know, able to go abroad to get an education, right? So there's definitely some assumptions of like, oh, you know, you, maybe you're one of the wealthy Asians. And it's like, well, no, that's not the, the case. I've been fortunate enough where I have been exposed to a lot of different cultures and, and, and been in places where it is very liberal-leaning. Boston's a pretty liberal-leaning city. And obviously growing up in New York, you're exposed to all different types of people. And But, but yeah, you will s- still face racism. You still will. like it, it's, You're not protected just because you're in a city. But I would say maybe not so much when I was in college or in school so much. Um, It was weird. I also went to an all-girls Catholic school. I was, like, not Catholic or Christian, so that made me feel weird, too. But, again, you thought, oh, go to a Catholic school. Like, this myth of, like, oh, you'll be safe or it's, like, a good school (laughs) or what have you. And it's, like, no, it was an okay school. Probably would have been fine at public school, too.
0: So, I mean, that's good to hear that there weren't a lot of experiences you had in school and in your formative years where you felt like people were pushing in pushing you into a stereotype. It was a lot of you finding allyship with other people of color, or other immigrants, and then going to college where there actually were a lot of different people in the API community. Maybe they were in cliques, but there was representation. So you weren't one of the few, which is great to hear. I want to talk about Atlanta a bit. So when the news of this hate crime hit obviously it was tragic and it was just like just saddening to see yeah. you know on the news and i don't know if you saw the instagram post about one of the victim's sons he started to go fund me and i mean i could have cried i was looking at the instagram post and he says i lost my mom we don't have family here it's my brother and i and is he did he just graduate high school yeah. um so it, just tragic
1: sobbing, like literally sobbing for, for, for this this young man and who has a little brother. He's like, yeah, I can't really mourn too long because I have to take care of my little brother. And I'm just like, I, I can't even like fathom this. And you know, and again, part of that, you know, brought me back a little bit, right? Like the trauma of losing a parent at a young age and then navigating this world and, and not having family. Like, I don't, I don't have family here either. It's literally my brother. That's my only family in this whole country. And obviously my husband now and all that, but you know what I mean. It's like blood-wise, that's it. So that definitely spoke to me with Atlanta. Unfortunately, because of everything that's been happening with the anti-Asian hate violence that's been happening, I've fallen into a rabbit hole of like reading, like all the instances that an elderly person has been pushed and and all these things, like people being slashed. In the face moms being harassed with walking their toddler so of course then I'm like okay now I see myself in it it's like not the old folks which you know and again it's deeply rooted in Asian culture and in a lot of cultures I just don't want to say just Asian culture but you know the elderly is something that you know in our culture we revere the elderly like we are taught at a very young age you respect your elders you never talk back to them um, you respect them and you celebrate them. So to see people hurting the most vulnerable it's just like it's a slap in the face and then it's just heartbreaking to see that. So I'm already in this, you know, rabbit hole of just all this violence and and you know, I I was falling asleep literally with my phone in my hand looking at news and the latest and it's definitely unhealthy going to sleep with that and then waking up to seeing any new developments. So when Atlanta happened, I actually was up that night and was just like, oh my goodness, this is terrible. And by the time I went to sleep, we we didn't really know like the motives, but it's like, you knew that it looked like it was Asian establishments. So then you're just like, this is not good. And then when you wake up, it, it just like, it really hits you like a ton of bricks. And I know obviously you're, you're black. I felt so shitty and terrible when the whole thing with George Floyd happened. I was like, I can't even imagine how black people feel, the black community feel, because I feel terrible, and I'm not black, and I feel terrible. This is not the way you should live, right? You shouldn't live in fear walking out of the door to just go to work, to go for a run. And I always think of Ahmaud Arbery every time I go for a run. I think about him all the time. The other day I thought about him when I went for a run and my husband literally said, hey, be careful. And I just started crying because I never have to think about my route. I never have to think about where I'm running to, where I'm going. I was like, I need to collect myself. I'm like, okay, this is the route I'm going. I'm going up this street because still a lot of people I'm going to go up. Roosevelt, I'm gonna head down back on Northern because it's a lot of people. So you kind of just know broadly where I'm going. So you just know if anything happens to me, that that's where I was headed and this is where I was coming back. It just made me sad because I never had to think about that. And when mod was hunted down, and as a runner, you're just like, this is insane. I've never had to think about this. And even then, I was like. I I still wasn't a fear, right? You're just like, I'm just running. My neighborhood's safe. And then this was the first time where I was like, I don't know if I'm safe. I don't know if I feel safe going outside by myself and running right now. But I did it because I'm like, I need to live my life. I need to go on. I can't be hiding in here forever. With my mask, of course, with my mask, always. But it was just a lot because when all of that happened, I just, again, this deep sense of empathy and and. And I I don't know. I didn't know what the Black community was going through. And I still don't know. I I don't want to even compare. It's still different. It's still different. And I I still support BLM. And and I I think Black voices still need to be heard. I think where I'm at is so do Asian voices. Um, There's enough room for everybody. There's enough empathy and love to go around. There really is. I don't want to ever dim the light on... Black stories, I think they're important. I, I I really do. I think what has risen in me is don't forget about your Asian friends and your Asian community um, because I think for us we've just been feeling really invisible. And then when that happened in Atlanta, it it almost just solidified everything that was leading up, right? Like all the all the pushings, all the slashings, all all the yelling and and the and, and spitting on people, like. Like, all of that, right, was leading up to this. And I know they don't want to call it a hate crime yet, but it's just hard to believe when you're targeting Asian-owned businesses and six out of the eight victims were Asian women. It's just, it's hard to to say it's not a hate crime. Yeah, I, I think it just was that, like, you felt, I felt invisible and... All the Asian people who were like speaking and shouting loudly, like saying, we've been saying this, like we've been saying this, like why? Why did it have to come to this before
0: anyone
1: recognized that this was an issue? Yes.
0: So you shared that the community, the Asian community, it sometimes feels invisible and that I agree with you. There's space for both voices. There's space for Black voices and there's space for Asian voices. And there's enough empathy and love to go around. I know when the news of these hate crimes started not even with atlanta but like you mentioned before just like elderly people and just these random happenings of the asian community being targeted and then it escalating to atlanta i didn't know what to say like you as a friend reached out to me during the black lives matter movement with lovely like text messages it wasn't even just one conversation it was like we had instagram dms we had text messages but i had friends who and friends and i mean quite frankly co-workers and some people who are associates were not really friends reach out to me and and send texts that sometimes made me want to cringe right like some of them are really beautiful and we had really great dialogue and some of them were i don't know they made it worse in some ways it was like i feel like i have to talk you through this or you want um an anti-racism check mark like it's almost like the vaccine card like i was supposed to tell people Oh, no, 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 you're not racist. My Instagram posts right now aren't about you. So I'd love to hear from you, you know, what, how can people, Black people and beyond be better allies to the Asian community? I wish there was this like one
1: powerful answer that I can give you. And I think, I think that's where the complexity lies. You know, for me personally, um, people just checking in, just saying like, hey, how are you? Check in on your Asian friend. That worked for me, not gonna lie. A simple like, hey, I'm thinking about you. How are you? That that was, that's it. That was it for me. Because I think a lot of that invisible part, yeah, I just was like, okay, so, you know, and, and I, I texted one group in, in a WhatsApp and I was just like, guys, we have not been talking about this. I'm telling you, these are the things that have happened. This is not okay. I am not okay. And then everyone just rallied. And it was almost like one of those things. I mean, anything I to your point, right? I think some people were like, oh, should I, like, text my friend or acquaintance that, you know, maybe going through some things. And to your point, maybe it was a little cringy. And even some of the people who were telling me they were reaching out to, like, their black friends, I was like, some of it just sounded not great to me. But, again... I- You know, I don't want to say who's authentic, who's not. I know where I'm coming from. And I hope when I'm checking in with people, they know where I'm coming from. And it's from real care and and, and genuine, you know, interest. But, you know, I think to your point, some people just like check off the mark. But for me, I think people who are just literally like, hey, how are you? That was good. That's fine.
0: Yeah, it leaves the door open. It leaves the door open.
1: And I don't know, maybe, maybe some of it was like learnings from their BLM conversations where, yeah, don't make... Make it black people's responsibility to make you feel okay and 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 to tell you that you're not a racist. Like, no, man, you need to do that work yourself. Like, don't. Black people have more than enough on their plate right now than to make you feel good. So, do that yourself. Um, for me, I, I don't think I don't think anyone's really asking for you know Asian people's like forgiveness or anything like that, but. Um, at least from for me, lead before it, I was actually getting pissed. I was getting really pissed at, at the lack of people checking in and, and saying anything, anything on social media or, or anything. So I was actually getting a little bit upset. Like, dude, where, like, hello, I'm one of your closest friends. Like, are you going to say something to me? Like, or no? Like, it's, it's a no? Okay, it's a no. But I guess Atlanta just opened that up, I guess. Um, again, I don't, I wish it didn't take something like that to open up a conversation. As we can see, this is how America operates. We had to see a man die on video. In front of our faces. In front of our faces, and we cannot ignore it. Then we can have the conversation. Um, We needed eight people to die to then have this conversation. So it's just a lot of, like, why does it have to get to a point where, where people have to die
0: To say something.
1: Um, To say something and, you know, and,
0: and to have those uncomfortable conversations. I think what's hard for me, and this conversation has been really helpful already, is figuring out how people identify. So obviously I have friends who identify as Asian, but there are people who are like detaching themselves from the narrative, right? So like you and I, Speak and I we follow each other on Instagram and like I, you see my posts I see your posts like we're in each other's DMs. I with some Asian friends I'm like you're not really saying anything about it and I so I don't know if I should say something about it and so I think your process of saying like hey are how are you is great because it opens the floodgates to say you know I am thinking about this people's experiences almost it's it alters how they show up and i don't want to speak for them but i feel like i mean i'm clearly black but with black lives matter as someone who grew up in a really white environment it was hard to get loud because it felt combative sometimes like i'm like my white friends are seeing this and i'm calling people out for stuff that's been happening for the past 20 years like i have 20 years worth of stuff to say to you so it's been really hard for me to not apply my, my, cause I understand it, but then I'm like, I also don't, I don't want to come into your DMs hot being like, I'm so sorry. And you're like, yeah, I'm not, I'm fine. So, so I don't, I, I struggled with
1: that. Yeah. And I think that's it. Like just checking it, because I, to your point, I, I also have some Asian friends that are actually quite quiet. Um, So I, I'm not sure what they're thinking. So, you know, sometimes for me it is like, hey, how are you? Hope things are okay. You know, hope you're hanging in there. I mean, and that could be a myriad of things right now, right? We're still in a pandemic. There, there's a lot of stuff going on. And hey, if they want to talk about it, great. If they don't, that's okay. I think you're right. Like each person is an individual and in how they want to process things or not process things. It, it's going to be their own. It's, it's going to happen in their own time, I guess. And I think the other thing that I, I said to my friends are like, hey, you know, I think it's also just amplifying Asian voices, I know we touched on it very quickly this morning about like, you know, we kind of live in our own bubbles, right? Like I follow a ton of Asian Americans, but I also, I try to follow a lot of different people because I I don't want to be in an echo chamber, but I will say it's definitely more, you know, more tolerable and open-minded people. But I do want a wider range of folks so that you don't feel like I'm only getting a very one perspective. And I think when other people, like people outside of the Asian community are amplifying Asian voices or sharing these types of of news or or organizations that's doing really great work with like Stop Asian Hate and, and all that, I think that's great because then you might reach that one person in the community that doesn't know any Asian people, right? And then they're like, hey, I didn't even know this was happening. What are you even talking about? Like, there are people who are like, why, why all this energy for, for Asian people? Like they didn't show up for us. And you know what? There are a lot of Asian people that didn't show up. Agreed. But I'm going to say there are a lot of Asian people that did. I know all my Asian American friends posting tons and donating time, money. I did a reoccurring, you know, donation for Color of Change. I was like, you know what? I'm going to continue being accountable until, you know, I can't afford to. But you know what I mean. I just wanted to make sure that it wasn't this like, this one-time thing. It's like, okay, I I put a a black square, and then let's call it right. We have to actively work on it. We have to actively learn. We have to actively engage. If people are open to it and doing it, great. You know, I I don't want to always say like, oh, donate to this and that. Like, some people don't have money. I get it. I I was poor. You can't always donate. But if you can, great. There's tons of organizations like Chinatown has been hit hard because nobody wanted to go to Chinatown. Everyone thought that's where COVID was. And so many establishments were closed because they can't keep the doors open anymore. There's organizations that help in that way. And just really, I think, just opening up that conversation and, yeah, showing up for, for the Asian community. But knowing that there are other other Asian communities are also supporting other um Community efforts that you know support like the Black and Brown community, Indigenous Indigenous community, the LGBTQ. You know, I mean, it's just hard um, because I think um, the preconceived notion of certain Asian people are, and a lot of it is like Asian immigrants, right? Because I think Asian immigrants come to this country and they have these preconceived notions because they don't know Black people, they don't know Brown people, they don't know anybody. But they just know what they see on the news or what the news wants to feed them. And so they just assume that, you know, black people are a certain kind of way. Jews are a certain kind of way. You know, like it doesn't have to be, you know, it's not created equal. There's stereotypes and, and, and prejudices against all walks of life. And when you're an immigrant, sometimes you don't have the luxury to get to know people from all these different walks of life and then you just walk around with this preconceived notion. So there are going to be a lot of black people who feel like, no, Asian people are terrible to black people. And I've seen it. I have seen it. So I'm not going to pretend like that doesn't exist. Oh, that's not who I am. That isn't who I am, but I know it exists. I've seen it. It's not right. And whenever I can, I, I, I will challenge that but you know, I'm one person. It's difficult conversations all around. You know, I think wherever we can try and champion each other, we should try. That's the only way I think it gets
0: better, right? Like,
1: I I don't know what the answer is. We just gotta stand up for
0: each other. We do, and it's not a prerequisite that someone has stood up for you in order for you to stand up for them. Right, just do the right thing. How about that? Exactly, just do the right thing. I don't think that I need, to count which Asian friends texted, which Asian friends posted out BLM. It's like people continually lose their lives just for being who they are. And that could be me and those are that is happening to black people. So I'm definitely going to speak up when I see it happening to others. Couple more questions for you. The last one, one of the last ones being, you live in flushing and so you are surrounded by a very big predominantly asian community what is it like in flushing right now how is the community feeling what are the vibes in
1: flushing a a lot of the people here are immigrants so i think a lot of those feelings are still like kept at the chest like i i don't I don't see a lot of people talking about it. Um, when there was um, the woman who got pushed, and the one that uh, Olivia Munn shared, that that literally happened like down the block from where I lived. I was the one who literally used my printer and was like, "We need to find this man, and all the old people in this building need to be careful when they're when they're out there." Like I was the one trying to like ask my doorman, like, hey, can you put this like can you post this on the door? I just want to make sure the old folks are okay." So I, I just don't know how much they know. Um I even talked to my mother- in- law who lives very close to to where we are, and I don't think she uh, she understands like the the grasp of of how many things are happening, and like for me, you know, I thought, oh, I live in an Asian community. I'm safe, right? I'm surrounded by people, so we're good. But then when that attack happened to that woman, and then nobody helped her, like a Asian woman was pushed, and no Asian person helped her. I was like, literally, my biggest fear you can't even help your own people and I'm just like I can't even talk about that right now because talking about the whole mind your business keep your head down I'm like you're gonna keep your head down and mind your business when someone is like bleeding right now are you kidding me someone that could be your mom your aunt like so you know that's a whole other conversation with like Asian folks and and I'm again not all of them not all of them but there is that 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 piece where it's just like people was like, well, I don't want to get involved. I just, you know, that doesn't involve me. Doesn't, you know, it, and it's like the whole thing is I'm staying out of it. And it's just like, oh, just do the right thing, man. Just do the right
0: thing. That's all I'm
1: asking, you
0: know? A hundred percent look out for people. Like I don't, that's very basic.
1: Yeah. And, and that's, and, and I think I give that example. Like, I don't know if people have that fear or if they do, they're not talking about it. And people are definitely going, go, you're just like, well, it's not gonna happen to me. Well, it, it did happen to this woman. And another thing happened like down the block from the playground we go to every day. And I'm just like, this is, I don't feel safe anymore. This is crazy.
0: For my last question, is is there anything you wish that people knew about the Asian community? Like there are a lot of stereotypes. There are a lot of just myths and things that people are saying right now. What is something you want people to know about your community? If you could just have a, se- a few sentences to share. The, the one word that has come to mind
1: that I've been hearing actually the last few days is is monolith, right? Like you almost see like Asian, you're all from Asia and you're all the same and we're really not. And I think the experience of each cult, each culture is so different and, and rich on its own, you know. And it is, a lot of it's like all the people that are getting attacked, you know, some of them aren't even Chinese. And it's, it's the whole idea of like, oh, it's a China virus you know, go back to your country. And it's just like making this assumption that everyone's Chinese, right? And it's just like, well, we're all not the same. Um, not that I just want you to attack only Chinese people, like let's just not attack anybody, but it's just not like, again, it's like the clumping of people, right? And there is a rich culture there that I would love for, for people to, you know, read up more about. I think also for me, you know, all of us have, have different experiences, right? I think the Asian experience versus the Asian American experience, like all of these are such different different outlooks and takes and even just things that even within Asian Americans, they struggle with, right? Like if your parents are immigrants and then you are trying to fit into America and being American, there's a lot of complexities and layers there, And I think sometimes when when things are posted online, it it definitely opens up a lot for me. But, you know, I I just feel like we just can't lump everything together. And I think it's just so quickly that that people just assume all all Asians are are the same. So whether you're Asian-American or Korean-American from China, like, you know what I mean? Not speaking English at all, you know, all of that is so different. And it
0: really does shape your, um, like your experience here. You're just, you're not a monolith. And I think a lot of people of color share that same exact sentiment. Like as a black person, there are black people who immigrated, there are black people who immigrated from Africa and their experience is a hundred percent different than mine who's like, as like, an African American who doesn't even know where they're from in Africa and those who are from the islands and just, I mean, really all over like South America, wherever it may be. And I think a lot of people of color witness that, that monolithic culture where it feels like, where do I fit into that? Like, yeah, I'm black, but I might not identify with that experience. So I love that. I think that's an amazing call out. Thank you so much, Penny. This is awesome. And I just like really appreciate you taking the time. Oh, it was so good to talk
1: to you and just really get some of this out. I think it's very also cathartic um, just because there's been just so much going on in my head and just, just there's just been so much going on in general that it's it's hard to process and sometimes it's hard to put into words. So I appreciate you taking the time to ask the questions and really letting me, me think through those
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of Define Normal. If you liked the episode or have any feedback for me, please leave a review on the Apple Podcast app. You can also follow the podcast on Instagram at Define Normal. See you next week.